next few weeks are going to bring us face to face with with a number of longings that fill the hearts of those who are made in the image of God. And we're actually going to talk about the image of God in just a second. This world that we live in is filled with echoes, reminders of the way God intended things to be. In, In hearing those echoes, we're reminded that what we really long for is God himself, something more than the reflection. I shared this quote last week regarding Advent, the worship source book, which is a collection of calls to worship, prayers of confession, etc. It says, regarding Advent, the great proclamation, the word became flesh and has made his dwelling among us, John 1.14, assures us that God has entered into human history through the incarnation of the Son. The season of Advent, a season of waiting, is designed to cultivate our awareness of God's actions, past, present, and future. In Advent, we heighten our anticipation for the ultimate fulfillment of all Old Testament promises. When the wolf will lie down with the lamb, death will be swallowed up, and every tear will be wiped away. In this way, Advent highlights for us the larger story of God's redemptive plan. Last week, we we talked about the longing for justice in this world, a longing partly met in the first coming of Jesus, the, the great shepherd king, as we looked at last week, having come to fight for the cause of truth and meekness and justice, refusing to, to step on the weak in order to establish or exhibit his power, refusing to take sides with the wicked in order to further his agenda, his delight in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man, his decisions and judgment, uh, judgments rooted in perfect righteousness, a defender of the widow and orphan in a day in which the, the political and religious leaders of Jesus' day continued to neglect justice. One who would go, uh, go about bringing such a great work of redemption that it would overshadow even the great liberation story of the Exodus, going back to last week's passage. The Lord delivering his people from the domain of darkness, rescuing us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Not only the, the good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep, but the Lord our righteousness the righteous king who would live the perfect life that we could never live, that we might be counted righteous through faith in Christ. And so last week we declared that that Advent is a season to celebrate for sure as it pertains to our longing for justice in the world in light of all that Christ has accomplished in his first coming. And yet we also acknowledge that Advent is a season to yearn as it pertains to our longing for justice in the world that wickedness is pervasive in this fallen, broken world. Ecclesiastes, even in the place of justice, the courts of law, even in the place of righteousness, the houses of worship, the very places where people should feel the safest are not always safe. And the brokenness is not just around us, but, but within us, as we don't always live in perfect covenant obedience. And yet, as we talked about last week, injustice will not win in the end. Corruption will not win in the end because there awaits God's people a second advent, the glorious return of our shepherd king as shepherd to gather all who are of his flock into his arms, leading us into the green grass of eternity. And as our king to execute justice and righteousness in the land, doing away with corruption and injustice forever and casting out his enemies, ushering his true citizens, citizens of his kingdom, this global citizenship into the bliss of the new heaven and earth where righteousness and faithfulness and justice and peace shall reign forever. This morning, my guess would be if you reside in the 30269 zip code or somewhere around uh, this area that there's a possibility last week that that you weren't struck in a particular way by the talk of justice and injustice. That as we go about our day, most of us don't look around and see 
uh, great expressions of injustice in the context in which we live on the daily. But I think this morning, there's an opportunity for us to all feel something of the weight of what we're meant to feel this time of year. The weight of, of joy, the weight of glory in the first coming of Christ, and the hope and longing for him to return. Because we're going to talk about relationships this morning. Um, and I don't think any one of us in this room uh, has gone through the entirety of our lives up to this morning without experiencing a broken relationship. We're going to focus our attention on, on the longing for relationships this morning, a longing that, that finds its origins. And most of you know this. This is not new information this morning. Not only in the story of creation, but in the very nature and being of God himself, that our God is triune, eternally existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fully and equally God, each and each in glory, uh, power, and essence, without division of essence, I should say, um, beautifully God. Every analogy used in an attempt to, to explain the Trinitarian God of the Bible, it falls short because God's very being is beyond our comprehension, right? We know these things, and yet, while we cannot know God exhaustively, we can know him truly as he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures, and scripture tells us that God is a community. If you look at Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1, which interestingly begin with the same words, in the beginning, Genesis 1, God, the Father, created the heavens and the earth. The, uh, the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, which is the second person of the Trinity, was hovering over the face of the waters. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. Here's the, the representation of the third person of the Trinity. Um, and the Word was God. And the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here, here you have the representation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a, a declaration on the one hand that God didn't create human beings out of a sense of loneliness. Right? There was perfect intra-Trinitarian love within the Godhead from eternity past. That God doesn't need you or me. He's not a divine Jerry Maguire. We don't complete him. It's not how it works. This is foundational to the, the doctrine of the Imago Dei, man made in the image of God, as the story of creation goes on to say, and this is where I had you open up this morning. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There are so many things that, that we could talk about this morning as it pertains to what it means to be made in the image of God. We could spend our time focusing on the fact that you and I are created with both dignity and humility. Dignity because we're not on the same level with animals. Humility because we're not on the same level with God. We can spend our time focusing on the complementary roles of men and women, equal in dignity and value, and yet distinct as a part of God's good design. We can spend our time focusing on the meaningful work to which we've been called in exercising dominion over all of the earth. But this morning, coming back to our longing for relationships, I want to affirm that we were designed to mirror God's invisible attributes to the world, as John Calvin says. Then God said, let us, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
made in the likeness of a relational God of intra-Trinitarian love, you and I, and therefore created for relationships. Helps to make sense of why we long to be known and loved, seen and valued. It's why we long for communication. Helps to explain why nearly three billion people have a Facebook account today. Three billion. God is a relational God and he created us for relationships. In part, it's why God would go on to say in the the wake of the creation of Adam, Genesis 2.18, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. If the Bible ended there with chapter two of the book of Genesis, there'd be no talk of longing, right? As it pertains to knowing and, and being known. But as most of us know all too well, following Genesis chapter two comes that devastating chapter known as Genesis chapter three, the birth of sin bringing about the brokenness of relationships. Most importantly, man's relationship with God. There was perfect harmony between God and man in the beginning, a harmony that that was disrupted, ruined, in fact, when man fell in the garden. As a result of sin, God's image bearers became his enemies. And with that, the fracturing of relationships between people, helping to make sense of a, a world filled with estranged spouses, quarreling family members, warring nations. I mean, some of these things, they ramp up all the more this time of year, right? I went through and put together just a short list of of ways that, relationally speaking, the world is not as it should be. Consider these things. We look to, to people to fulfill us in ways that only God can, chasing after the echo rather than running to the voice itself. We keep others at arm's length in an effort to keep from being hurt or rejected. We find our ultimate worth in the approval or disapproval of man rather than the one who made us in his image. We attempt to fix our own problems rather than seeking the Lord and welcoming the help of others. When relationships get hard, we withdraw rather than addressing the issues, opting to say nothing rather than risk entering into the discomfort. We welcome people's presence in our lives, but not their counsel or correction. We ask consumer-oriented questions of the church, like what's in it for me so that our desires and ambitions are prioritized over the needs and the mission of, of the church. We guard ourselves from others so as not to have our vulnerabilities weaponized against us, embracing loneliness as the lesser of two evils. We offer others the Photoshop version of ourselves via social media because we can't stand the thought of not being known at all. And yet, we're not comfortable with people knowing the not-so-photoshopped version of us. And on and on and on we could go. You could easily add to that list yourself, I'm sure. The best we could hope for, relationally speaking, had God left us in the hopelessness of our sin. And yet, and yet, God had a plan to bring reconciliation and peace where there would otherwise be hostility and brokenness. We sing it every Christmas. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. Here it is, God and sinners reconciled. When Adam and Eve were exiled from God's garden sanctuary of Eden, we know this, most of us here, a cherubim was, was placed with a sword in hand to keep them out of the garden, their sin separating them from the presence of God. The gospel declares that there's a sword that that none of us can remove, that flaming sword that stands between us and paradise, our sin separating us from a restored relationship 
with the one whose image, uh, in whose image we've been made. And yet, the gospel declares the hope of a rescuer who is destined to remove that flaming sword that when we gaze upon the baby lying in a feeding trough in Bethlehem, we're meant to see that part of God's rescue mission is to reconcile sinners to himself. Colossians 1:19, very famous passage of scripture. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That to use that that imagery in the garden, it's Jesus who would go on to come under the, the flaming sword of God's judgment, opening the way back to paradise and ultimately a restored relationship with the living God. That the cradle of Christ was always meant to lead to the cross of Christ. That Jesus entered into our broken world in order to break down the dividing wall of hostility between holy God and sinful man, making peace by the blood of his cross. God's great work of reconciliation. So that when you meet your maker, and this is just a reminder, this is not new information for most everyone in this room. When you meet your maker, Christian, you will not meet an enemy, but a friend. That the hostility that once existed between you and God is no longer. That where there was once hostility, there's now peace. His face no longer turned away from you, but toward you with the light of reconcilement shining. And with that, the opportunity to know reconciliation on a human level as God's redeemed. Another famous passage of scripture, Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That, that yes, we sing every Christmas on the one hand, hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. But we also sing every Christmas, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Peace rarely comes easy. It's not a Hallmark movie. It's not as if all it takes is a little um, Christmas magic to experience it, some sprinkling of pixie dust. Peace with God came through the shed blood of Jesus. I think I've shared this at least one Christmas past. Every time I, I watch Home Alone uh, and, I, and I see the interaction of Kevin and the old man as they're sitting in the chapel, he's watching his granddaughter practice uh, for a recital later that day and he expresses to Kevin, I can't come back later tonight, I'm not welcome. Uh, he and his son were estranged and uh, there, there was a rift in the relationship and uh, it, it's it's some of the most humorous banter in the entire movie between Kevin and this old man. And uh, during that scene, Kevin encourages him, you should take a risk. You should try to seek reconciliation with your son and see where where it might go. And 
the next thing that we, we see in terms of, of that particular plot line is at the end of the movie where the old man is reconciled to his son and the family's brought together for Christmas. One of the things that never gets lost on me as I watch that movie is, yeah, we're, we're warmed our hearts by scenes like that, especially around Christmas time. But the scene that gets la- left out is the old man picking up the phone to call his son. Why? Well, we're left to speculation, but my guess is in part is that that phone call would have been incredibly difficult and messy, not heartwarming at all. There were things to be worked through in order to, to bring about that heartwarming scene at the end of the movie. That flourishing relationships don't come easy. We all know this, and yet we were made for them because we've been made in the image of a relational God. First and foremost, with God himself the one whose image we bear. That if you're not a Christian, I would just implore you more than anything else that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that we might be restored into a right relationship with the living God. If you hunger for relationships, that's the one you need to to run to. God and sinners reconciled. Repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus and trust in him for salvation, for forgiveness that can only be found in him. Receive the greatest Christmas gift of all reconciliation with your maker, secured by the blood of Christ. And if you are a Christian, there's a reason that part of the Advent season has to do with with longing, with yearning for the future hope that's ours in the second coming of Christ. Again, peace rarely comes easy. But until Jesus returns, there will inevitably be broken relationships in this world. There will continue to be estranged spouses. There will continue to be quarreling family members. There will continue to be warring nations, relational dysfunction. And so we declare this morning, this Advent season, amen, come Lord Jesus. Usher in the consummation of your eternal and good kingdom where broken relationships shall be no more. It's one of the many gifts of Christmas future. And yet, and here's why I want to leave us this morning. I want to go backwards and go to the second coming of Christ first and now take us back to the gifts of Christmas past as it pertains to this idea of hungering for relationships. And I want to consider one of those many gifts as it has to do with relationships, namely the gift of adoption. God making us members of his forever family through faith in Christ. Came across this and and was awakened in a very new way recently in, a, in a, a systematic theology book. 1986, Christmas of 1986, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, that was the year that the Nintendo Entertainment System came into uh, the States. It was a big year for kids. And that Christmas morning, uh, my mom pulled a Ralphie, and she... <laughs> Presented all the presents, so I thought, you know, I opened them all up. I was excited. I was jazzed. It was a great Christmas. I didn't need anything extra. But then she, she did the thing, you know, hey, why don't you go look behind the tree again? Um, and, and so I did, and there was this, this box sitting behind the tree, and I opened it up, and there it was, an NES, Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, the, the controller and the gun, you know, and it was, it was amazing. It was glorious. It was icing on the cake is what it was. It wasn't a gift of necessity, but it was a sweet one. That's what the gift of adoption is like. 
unlike some of the other incredible gifts of redemption in Christ. That Think about this. Without the gift of regeneration, our experience of the new birth, we remain dead in our sins, making regeneration a gift of necessity as it pertains to our salvation. Without the gift of justification, right legal standing before God, we remain guilty sinners, making justification a gift of necessity as it pertains to our salvation. Not so with the gift of adoption. God didn't have to make any one of us his children in order to save us from our sins. He could have given us the gift of regeneration, the new birth, without adopting us into his family. He could have given us the gift of justification, right legal standing before God, without making us his children. He could have determined that we solely relate to him as citizens would relate to a king and that we would relate to each other as one citizen would relate to another, and that would have been perfectly sufficient. And that's surely part of it. We are citizens who have been brought into the kingdom of God's beloved son. But God went further than that. He invited us to look behind the tree one more time, giving us the gift of adoption, making us his children in Christ, completely unnecessary, the lavish grace of God towards sinners. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. He didn't have to do it, but he did. And with that gift, the many blessings of what it means to be adopted into God's family. Let me just offer you some And consider the fact that it was heaping gifts on top of gifts for God to do it. It was unnecessary as it pertains to our salvation. Consider these great privileges as we sit with this idea this morning of hungering for relationships. That you can relate to God not just as a citizen to a king, but as your heavenly father. No longer a slave, but a son or daughter of the one whose image you bear. Galatians 4, 7. A father who loves you with a love that runs deeper than you could possibly ever dare dream. 1 John 1, 3, right behind me. A father who cares for you more than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Matthew 6. A father who delights in you, who rejoices over you with gladness and exults over you with loud singing. Zephaniah three seventeen. A father who graciously disciplines you. Hebrews 12, because he loves you as his child and is for your good. A father who has stored up an inheritance for you, 1 Peter 1, 4, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading for any and all children of the king. And with these many blessings, the gift of a sibling relationship with fellow believers. Man, we take it for granted, don't we? Not simply fellow citizens of a kingdom, but eternally bonded brothers and sisters in Christ. Members of a family, a forever family at that. That that yes, we yearn for Jesus to usher in the consummation of his eternal good kingdom where broken relationships shall be no more. Hallelujah to that. But two, we have a reason to celebrate this morning. Having been given a gift, looking back at the first coming of Christ that goes far beyond redemptive necessity. God's light of reconcilement shining, redeeming us into a forever family through Jesus. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
We need to be reminded of that. Because things are not as they should be. Relationships are broken. I bet you could start naming them off in your own life, in your own family, in your own work experiences, in your own neighborhood. We're going to leave this place and encounter them the minute we leave. There may even be some of them in this very room. There's something about the doctrine of adoption that that has the ability to fan into flame this, this joy as we simultaneously hope for something better. And so I just encourage you to to sit with that this morning, to look behind the tree that one last time and consider all the privileges that are yours as an adopted son or daughter of God and what it means to be siblings in this space as we worship our God together.